By now, you know I have a favorite movie. Favorite movies. Uh, one of which is Indiana Jones, right? And so there are several good movies, several good Indiana Jones movies. One not so good. But one of my favorites is the third one. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because if you go back and watch it, one of the challenges that Indiana Jones faces lays out the three, three of the primary components of the gospel. If you hadn't seen it, because it's an older movie, spoiler alert. If you have seen it but don't remember, here they are. Only a penitent man shall pass is the code that he has to die, to get through the first challenge. And it basically, in other words, only by repentance are you spared. And that's how he gets through the first challenge. Now they're out of gospel order. But the next challenge in the movie is only in the path of God. And, and Indiana Jones steps on the very letters of the name Jehovah as he gets across the challenge. And in the third one, which is the one I want to talk about, is really the second step in that gospel. But he says, only by a leap from the lion's mouth will you prove your worth. And Indiana Jones in the movie literally says, it's a leap of faith. And he is standing at a chasm that you cannot see the bottom of. And where he needs to go is, a, is across a gap too far for him to leap by his own ability. There is no hope of him jumping across it. And there's clearly nothing there to catch him. And with great trepidation, Indiana Jones stands at the edge of that precipice and says, I have to take a leap of faith. And he steps out. Spoiler, he doesn't fall. There is something there unseen to catch him. And the hero continues on. But if he had not been able to make that leap, he would never have accomplished his goal. He takes a leap of faith. And last week we started a sermon series called Six Words That Shape Our Spiritual Life. And I talked in great detail about mission and what mission means. And how our mission is shape, shapes our spiritual life. How the word mission and being on mission and going and not trying necessarily to draw but to be present with people. And to be present with God and to go and as you are going to make disciples. And this week I want to talk about the second word clearly. Faith. Faith shapes our spiritual life. I know that sounds like a little bit like Church 101, right? I mean, you are saved by faith. We'll get to that in a minute. But faith itself, our faith, shapes our spiritual life. Having it in the first place, of course. And we talk about faith a lot in spiritual circles, but I think sometimes we confuse belief with faith. And there is a distinction. There's an important distinction to make between belief and faith. They're connected for sure. But faith has this whole other dimension to it that I want to talk to you about. Indiana Jones made a leap of faith that illustrates what I'm talking about. There's this intuitive, beyond belief, I know this to be true, dimension to faith that's really hard to put into words. I can believe a lot of things, but I only have faith in a few. And so, yes, 
A, the right belief is what we have faith in. They are connected. But there's this intuitive dimension to faith. And when we lean into that intuitive dimension, it literally shapes our spiritual walk. Our ability to act on faith, to live by faith as the scriptures talk about, shapes who we become and our spiritual destiny and our ability to go on past the next challenge. So we're going to read a Bible story from the Old Testament this morning where a group of people had a choice between belief and that response and faith and that response. And where we pick up the story is the people of God, the people of Israel, have been wandering the desert. They have left Egypt, and they are at the edge of the promised land. They can see the goal. They have the obstacle in front of them, but they can see the finish line. They can see the fulfillment of God's promises. They can see a land they call a land flowing with milk and honey. And wisely, Moses selects a handful of people, 12 of the best, one from each of the tribes of Israel, to be spies, to go into this promised land and to scout it out, to look around and to check out the resistance, to check out the obstacles that are before them. And they go and spend 40 days spying out the promised land for the people of God. And so we're going to be in Numbers chapter 13 this morning, starting in verse 17. And we'll go through parts of 14. I'll, I'll skip around and, and, and move through the passage. But this is Numbers 13, chapter, starting in verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Verse 22. So they went up and explored the land of the, in the desert, from the desert of Zen, as far as Rehob towards Lebo and Hamath. I'm reading Old Testament, so there's Old Testament names. <laughs> they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, to Ahiman, to Sheshai, to Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived there. Hebron had been built in seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Verse 23. When they reached the valley of Eshkel, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the valley of Eshkel because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There, they reported to them, to the whole assembly, and showed them the fruit from the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live there, live near the sea along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
But then the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack these people. They are stronger than we are. They, and they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours the living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak came from Nephilim. We, seem, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. Chapter 14. That night, all the members of the company raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face in front of the whole assembly. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Je Jeff Jephunneh, <laughs> who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land and the land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. So we have this story where a group of Israelites go and they spy and 10 of the spies come back and say, they are way too strong for us. Caleb stands up and says, I think we should go. I think we can do it. One report but two interpretations of that report. And Joshua joins Caleb in his assessment later. So you have 10 spies who say, there's no way. The obstacle is too big. The power is too great. There is no way we can do this. And Caleb and Joshua say, God's with us, we can. They have two different interpretations. Now that would have been enough, except that after that, the ones who were discouraged by what's going on basically continued to spread panic and fear throughout the people of Israel until they were ready to revolt against Moses and Aaron and go back to Egypt. So you have these two reports. They both saw the same set of obstacles and challenges. What was the difference in their interpretation? Why would 10 say we can't? And two, say we certainly, most certainly can. What was the, they both saw the same thing. They both spent 40 days exploring. They both spent all that time checking things out and meeting people and talking to people and checking out defenses and, and all those things. And one half, part of them say, there's no way. And another part says they, they should go. The difference is what Caleb says and what Joshua says. In verse 8 of chapter 14, if God is with us, then we can go. The distinctive in their two, the difference between their two reports is that the 10 looked at the obstacles, assessed their own ability to face those obstacles, and said that the chasm is too far. There's no way we can jump to our goal. There's no way we can get through. There's no way we, our group of people, 
can possibly conquer this land. The walls are too high. The men are too big and strong. We don't have the ability. They only believed in what they knew and saw. But what does Caleb do? Caleb does not look at Israel's ability as an army. Caleb does not look at Moses' ability as a military commander. Caleb and Joshua rely on what they know God can do. They don't look at their armed capacity. They look at a God who's brought them out of Egypt, who's brought them through the desert, who's displayed miracles, parted the Red Sea, broken obstacles before that were insurmountable, and say, God is with us. We can go. The simple way to say it is, they have faith that God will deliver the promised land to the Israelites. The other ten only believe in what they can see. They only believe in their own ability. They only know their own ability. They obviously don't know God despite walking with him in the desert for so long. And they take it a step further. They raise a rebellion, which leads Moses and Aaron to fall on their face in repentance, and Joshua and Caleb to plead with them and say, look, if God is with us, we know we can go. This is a huge historical turning point in the life of Israel. They've come through the desert from Egypt. They've survived challenge after challenge after challenge, and they're standing at the edge of the promised land. And they've got these two interpretations of these reports. Which do we choose? Do we entrust in our own ability and try? Or do we have faith that even if our ability is not enough, God is? And because they grumble and because they rebel, they make the wrong choice. They argue, let's find a new leader and do this, go back to Egypt. They would rather go back to slavery in Egypt than to face the challenge in front of them. They even say it would have been better if we died in Egypt or died in the wilderness than to go forward and die by the sword. We didn't read this part of the story, but what you find if you keep reading 14 is that God is angry at their response and basically grants them their wish. He condemns that generation to die in the wilderness. And the people of God have to wander for another 40 years because they did not have faith in the God who brought them to that point. And those that grumbled and complained and rebelled got their, their wish. They died in the desert. Except for Joshua and Caleb. The two spies that had faith were able to eventually see the promised land. They were eventually able to go where they knew God could take them. It's a huge turning point. And their ability to have faith or not have faith in that moment shaped their spiritual life for the next 40 years. It changed their destiny. Belief in their own ability versus faith in the one who's brought us this far. And they chose their own understanding, their own ability. So our faith shapes our spiritual life. I mentioned this earlier. It is the basis for our spiritual life is to have faith 
Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not by works, so that you could boast in your own ability. Had the people of God been able to go into, into the promised land on their own without talking to God, without consulting God, and conquer it, then they would have taken pride and placed their faith in their own ability. But because the obstacle was beyond them, when they had success, they knew God did it. Our salvation is not based on our own ability to leap the cavern of sin. Our salvation is based in our faith in the one who will catch us and carry us over. In the thing that we can't even necessarily see. I'm sure Joshua and Caleb did not see a way through. They saw the same walls. They saw the same defenses. They knew how daunting a challenge this was. But they also saw the Red Sea and saw it part. And so they knew that the God who could part the Red Sea could carry them to victory in the Promised Land. They knew God. They had faith in God, not in their own ability. And that's what delivered them. Our faith in God is what saves us. In this story, literally, in our own lives, faith in God and his, his salvation of us, not our own ability to save ourselves, is what delivers us. James 7, but James 2.17 says that faith without works is dead. But Charlie, you just said it's not up to us. I alluded to the fact at the outset that there's a dimension between belief and faith. An intuitive dimension. An instinctive dimension. And it's that dimension of trust. And it does take an action on our part, and that is to place our faith in God. To take the leap from the lion's mouth. To take the step when we can't see a way through. To trust in the one who can carry us through. It's not enough to believe that God saves us. It's not enough to believe that God exists. It's not enough to believe that the Bible is true. Because that other dimension is what we do about what we believe. Now our works don't save us. But if Indiana Jones doesn't step off and act on the faith that he has that he'll be caught by something, then he doesn't get through. Joshua and Caleb could have believed that God would deliver them. But without faith that God would, they would not have been willing to go forward either. And so when James says, our faith without works is dead, what he's talking about is that intuitive dimension that goes, not only do I believe this, I am placing my faith in it. I am placing my spiritual destiny in it. I am placing my future in the fact that this is true. And I am taking actions that display what I believe. When I can't see a way across, when I can't see a way through the obstacle, I go anyway. I do what Caleb suggests. We can still go. Because we know that the God who delivered us from sin will be with us in the midst of that trial and in the midst of that challenge. So without the leap, it's just belief. With the leap is how we display our faith 
We take action, and that action brings our faith to life. Now, you think about that, and you apply it to day-to-day, to Monday through Saturday. And you can say, yes, I know that God will be faithful in this. Fill in the blank. But until you do something that demonstrates that you know God is faithful, you really just believe it. I know that God is faithful in providing for me. But I demonstrate my faith with generosity because I know God will provide. I know God says this is the right way to live. But I demonstrate that that belief is true in my own life when I live the way he says to live. The faith enables that leap. Having faith enables us to make the leap If I'm standing at the edge of that chasm and I don't believe and have faith that something's going to catch me, there's no way I step off. For some of us, we have lost our trust in God because of circumstances. And we need to re-explore what it means to just have the faith to step. Faith is the basis for our relationship, but it also leads to these leaps of faith. Trusting only in our own ability, the way the people of Israel did, is basically telling God we don't trust him. When we try to do it ourselves, when we try to come up with our own solution, when we don't trust what God says about a given set of circumstances, we're based in the way we, and we act in that way. And we're basically telling God we don't need him or don't trust him, and it'd be better to go back to Egypt. It'd be better to go back to our old way of doing things. That's what we're telling him when we don't listen to where he's telling us to go. And it sounds silly to our ears that they want to go back to slavery or die in the desert, but we do it all the time. When we take our own life into our own hands, into our own ability to do things our way, we are telling God we like Egypt more than the promised land. Because God has rescued us from the slavery of sin and death. And when we continue to sin and rebel, we tell God we'd rather live in sin and death, in the slavery of sin and death, than live in the promised land that we know you can give us. And then finally, Hebrews 11.1 says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for, assurance about what we do not see. Think about that. It's the confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance in what we don't see. Caleb and Joshua didn't know how it was going to happen. They couldn't see a path to victory by analyzing it for 40 days. But they had confidence. They had hope in the victory they couldn't see. Indiana Jones stands at the edge of the crevice and he cannot see a way across. But he had confidence there was a way and took the leap. Faith expressed relies on hope for things that we cannot always see through. If we have to wait until the path is clear and obvious, then we're resting on belief in what we know. Sometimes, and what really makes it a leap of faith And a demonstration, an act of demonstrating our trust in God is when we go when we can't even see the way through. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. When to go back, what to do, how to do it, how do you live and be safe, how do you 
be respectful of others, but to be free. All these tensions and all these things. And when will this come back? And when will this come back? And sitting here this morning, we cannot see the way through. But we stand at that same turning point. Are we going to entrust in our own ability? Science, experts, actions, masks? Or are we going to entrust that as we go forward, as we live in this tension, as we move forward, are we going to trust in the fact that God is with us and that the God who has carried us this far will continue to carry us through? Living by faith means approaching the parts of our life that frighten or overwhelm us with confidence that God is with us and will be who he's always been, the one who is faithful. That faith is the difference between wandering in the desert, lost under our own ability, and entering the promised land. Let's pray. God in heaven, remind us that you are with us even as we face overwhelming, fearful, challenging circumstance. Help us not to only believe, but help us to have faith in that belief that leads to leaps of trust in you. Have your spirit speak to our hearts so that we know that you are with us. Enliven us, empower us to take bold, intuitive, powerful leaps of faith as we move forward in the spiritual life. Give us a faith that shapes the direction of our path. In Christ's name, amen. If you've never placed your faith in God, I'd love to know. I'd love to talk to you about it. If you're still trying to do it on your own, I would love to have that conversation. It's time to take a leap of faith. If you've been a Christian for a long time and you are suddenly aware that you're just living in fear and trying to do it yourself, I pray that God would fill your heart with the trust in him that lets you take leaps. As we go, receive this benediction. May you go into this week knowing, feeling, and being surrounded by the presence of God in a way that you've never experienced before. And may that experience of him, his presence, his love, his joy, and his peace, may it fill you with the hope of things you've never even seen or imagined. In Christ's name, amen.